Welcome to the Hay Kings Podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today, I'm joined by Caitlin McCulloch. Caitlin's the Director and Senior Agricultural Economist at the Livestock Market Information Center. Caitlin has expertise in cattle, hog, dairy, hay, and grain sectors, covering markets, analysis, and outlook. Caitlin's published through a variety of channels, market analysis research, and new articles, and she's been a frequent presenter on the national and regional levels, as well as rural media outlets. Prior to joining LMIC, Caitlin has worked for the Farm Credit System, as well as in Washington, D.C. for the American Farm Bureau Federation on livestock-related agricultural policy topics. She has a master's in agricultural economics from Colorado State University, a Bachelor of Science from the University of Maine. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, John Paul. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Livestock Market Information Center does? Sure. So the Livestock Marketing Information Center, we sometimes abbreviate as LMIC. We are a cooperative nonprofit between land-grant universities, USDA, and associate members. And we've got, we're founded in 1955, so a little bit of a unique group here in that Pre-electronic uh, data information, we used to hand punch all of this by hand and, uh, you know, started started with the information age in terms of getting it online and available to other folks. Now, we do have about 27 participating land-grant universities that belong to the LMIC and the data agencies of USDA. There's about seven of those. And then we have 14 associate members that range from risk management groups to agricultural lenders. Um, as well as membership from Canada. Wonderful. That's quite the broad spectrum, and I'm sure it gives you lots of different angles to look at the livestock and agricultural sector. It certainly it certainly does, and we cover um, a multitude of commodities here. We do focus on the livestock side, cattle, sheep, hogs, dairy, and poultry, and then we focus on feed grains as input to those. Now, of course, you just said that you focus on the livestock side, but hay's a big part of that, right? It is one of the the key things we look at, and as long along with the drought monitor and pasture and range conditions. Let's dive into some of your forecasts here. You provided me with your uh, supply and demand balance sheet here, looking at alfalfa hay supplies. And as we're considering the May one hay stocks, how does that like the USDA gives us their estimate of how much hay is in inventory across the country? How does that look? So hay is is helpful because it get, we get a December 1 stock number ahead of the May 1 number. So that gives us a little bit of a preview of how we started winter. And the December 1 hay stocks were down about 6% nationally. And this varies quite a bit top to bottom, east to west, depending on what state you're talking about. And it's important to remember hay stocks are given as an all hay number. So we don't get alfalfa versus other hay in that number. It's a total aggregate. But if you look across the U.S., Rather unsurprising, the drought areas continue to show lower and lower hay stocks as they have the last couple of years, particularly the northern plains. Um, almost all of those states were more than 40% down from a year ago. Those are huge declines, especially on an already tight hay balance sheet in those areas, as well as the west. Most of those are experiencing pretty large declines, double digit for sure. The key areas that were above a year ago, southern plains and I would say you know middle Middle Plains states, I'm thinking Nebraska South, and then uh, the Southeast was down a little bit, a little bit more of a mixed bag up there. How does that set us up going into 2022? So it's difficult. It's somewhat of a guess depending on what state produces more 
alfalfa versus other hay, we can we can look at the production numbers and kind of make some assumptions about what percentage those are. And just generally speaking, there's more other hay acres in um, across the Middle Plains areas, and then when we tend to see more alfalfa acres in the Pacific Northwest and the Northern Plains, and so. Some of that's a little bit of a guess, but in general, the setup for this year is you are at a place where you have the top three tightest stocks on record heading into a marketing year that looks, at least by all accounts right now, another La Nina year, at least for now. And that's going to point to probably another fairly difficult year for forage production um, and a fairly difficult year for pasture and range. Now, again, I focus on the livestock side, so I'm looking at this as you know, if pasture and range is, is not so good, then you have a lot of disappearance from hay because you're going to have to supplemental feed for a lot of those areas. And in some areas where they're not used to having to supplemental feed, southeast specifically, they might not necessarily have uh, a lot of stocks on hand. Now, that's not the significant dry area right now. If you look at the drought monitor, we're still very heavily focused on those western states and Great Plains states having some below average um dry conditions. But essentially what you're looking at is a scenario where hay stocks and hay production has been smaller and smaller for the second or third consecutive year in these areas. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on prices. And we've seen that happen in different cycles. 11 and 12, 2011-12 was the last big, big drought year. And that had some some lingering effects where you saw hay prices on the other hay side, go all the way up to 144 as a national average. We're probably going to surpass that in this current marketing year. We have in there a 149. Um, you know, 147 is still probably close to the ballpark. And we're projecting a 155 national other hay price next year. Now, on alfalfa, we did see some significant losses in new seeding acres. So, in January, we get to we get to take a look at how many new alfalfa stands were planted, and that was down 25%, easily the lowest on record, below 2 million new seedings, and that is very concerning. So we took about 7% off alfalfa acres right off the top. It might not be quite that bad, but that's where we're sitting at right now, and that's going to push alfalfa probably to a new record high in the 2022-2023 marketing year on a national average basis. Now, I fully understand national average prices might not le- mean that much to the individual users, but um, hay is very regional, and you have areas of the country that are ex- experiencing prices way well above that, as well as well, well below that even even today. What I just heard you say is this is a situation that's been building for several years, where many areas, especially Canada, Central Plains, and the West Coast don't have a lot of carryover in inventory. We saw 25% less alfalfa going in. What about on the grass side? So on the grass side, you don't get that pre-number. We do get a, we get, we get a rough estimate in prospective plantings that came out at the end of March. And that decline was, uh, was fairly small um, on a national basis where some regions are experiencing worse declines than others. But I will say the variability between the March number and what we see in January can be can be large in some years. So right now, USDA NAS is expecting about a 1% decline nationally, but the key regions are going to be Texas and Oklahoma. Those are those are areas that are um, somewhat newly experiencing drought. They haven't had drought in the last two or three years like, like some of the West, um, but they're also huge other hay-producing states. Texas is 
easily produced, um, I think, between 8 and 10% of total hay volume last year for the entire U.S. And so if you have a decline there, that makes that makes that area a very key number for the overall balance sheet. And prospective plantings indicated that Oklahoma and Texas each are down more than 10% in terms of acres. And so if you if you think about the setup being well, potentially a very dry year with poor yields, and then you add on top of that potentially some significant declines in acres in key hay, other hay-producing states. Um, the picture isn't all that rosy as a as a livestock producer, but for hay growers, um, it's probably going to be a very good year. In terms of pricing, at least, if you have the hay to put up, right? That's correct. Ah, got it. Okay. Let's take a break there, and we'll get a word from our sponsor. One reason we updated and went to the Vermeer, the durability on these balers has been tremendous. They are overbuilt balers. The weaknesses that we had on our other balers have been addressed, and that helps give dependability to these balers. I'm Jeff Jones, and that's the reason why I switched to the Vermeer 504R Premium Baler. See financing at baylor.vermeer.com. Now, what we just set up here was Low stocks to start with, lower plantings. We have seen some herd liquidation. Can you talk about that? Now we're talking about beef cows. Can you talk about that and where we've seen some of that liquidation and what that does to our supply and demand situation? So the U.S. cattle herd is, has been in a couple-year decline. Uh, some of that is involuntary culling, so drought-related because you either didn't have the the ability to feed them or, or you were worried about... Uh, you know, what your forage situation might be. And so we saw significant liquidation across the Northern Plains last year and, and in the West, um, some, some large declines in Missouri and Texas um, in, some, uh, in some other areas. And it's a little bit of a unique situation in that you have drought pressing, pressing cows into slaughter, uh, but you also have very strong calf prices, which usually would would indicate that the beef herd would not be shrinking. And so it's a little bit of a story of the have and have nots in terms of cattle and the ability to hold on to those animals there too. If if you have the ability to to winter winter animals and to keep keep them fed and, and have pasture conditions, you're gonna do probably pretty well and be able to at least maintain your herd size if not grow it. But for those areas that are still worried about hay availability, pasture conditions moving forward, They've probably held on for for a while now in terms of drought and and those situations, and I think it's the cumulative effect that's going to be what get what what ends up what gets them essentially. So they might have been able to make it through the first two years, but now you've had hay prices go up continuously, and it doesn't look any better. And so I'd expect certain windows to see more more cows head to slaughter, um, like right now. The first quarter of um, 2022 is up about 10 to 15 percent, and in cow from, slaughter from last year. Yep, in cow slaughter, and wow. that's probably primarily coming from um, from animals that have just weaned calves from from fall calving. But the primary driver in the U.S. is going to be spring calving, and so you might see another fairly large uptick once those calves are weaned in 2022. Now, hay's not the only crop in the country, <laughs> and we're seeing some extraordinary wheat, corn, soybean prices. Can you take us through your thoughts on how those uh, alternative crops, is, as we're thinking about producers, we have options 
to take out alfalfa fields, maybe take some of that nitrogen credit, roll it into a cornfield. How does that play out in your mind? So uh, those couple of points you mentioned, John Paul, are a little outside my wheelhouse. I usually look at the dollars and cents for some of this stuff, and inputs have been really high. Um, most of the alfalfa acres are going to be irrigated, and so you know, the substitution of what you can do there is a little bit broader than maybe what you could do in other hay acres. And it depends on what region of the country you're looking at in terms of what your options are. One of the surprises, I think, from prospective plantings was, one, how low corn numbers um, are estimated at and how high some of the more uh, the smaller commodity crops are are estimated at. So you had you had big percent changes and things like barley and flaxseed and uh, edible peas and, and and things like that. And so that's that's been taking some acres, particularly in the dry areas that we're referring to. Those are a lot of the times going to be northern plains crops. On the south side, we saw some switching into cotton and things like that. Um, I think it's early to say. I mean the if you look at the futures market and what corn and soybean prices are doing, they're they're arguing they should get the acres. And so there is a little bit of an acre battle right now, and we'll have to see how that pencils out. Um, and so what those opportunities look like are probably going to be different region by region and might matter a little bit how your setup is um, in terms of what you can really switch to. Ah, that's a great answer. I like that. It depends. <laughs> what do you think about the East Coast? So in terms of the East Coast, um, these are going to be areas of the country that don't necessarily put up a lot of hay. There's a lot of rainfall out there, and so most of the forage production is going to happen in the field. Now, if you look at it from a livestock perspective, feed rain is really expensive. And so animals that are going to be in a position where producers are going to try and put weight on in the field, which means pasture quality and forage production in, in that sense is going to be very important. But these aren't areas of the country that are used to necessarily doing a lot of supplemental feeding. They were down a little bit in terms of December 1, and when the May stocks come out, we'll know a little bit more. But essentially, the drought monitor looks like those areas are fairly in good shape from a dry perspective. A little bit of dryness on on the southeast coastline, but generally speaking, in a much better position than the rest of the country. But should that change you know, that's not the area of the country that's going to be able to to do a lot of additional feeding because those stocks just aren't there. And that would cause animals to move into feedlots and things like that. From a dairy perspective, uh, not necessarily a lot of alfalfa acres in those areas, but all, uh, but still a very critically important input into the dairy industry. Those would be the things that I would be watching for over the next couple of months is where's Where's that first cutting coming in? Is it late? Is it good quality? How are the yields, et cetera? Caitlin, tell me your thoughts on exports. It's a little bit of a West Coast-focused thing, right? So the the U.S. exports about, I say, usually 3% of total production as just kind of a ballpark figure. Um, we do tend to export quite a bit more alfalfa on a tonnage basis, roughly double alfalfa is double uh, what other hay exports are. And we're primarily shipping to five or six countries on alfalfa. We're shipping to China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, Taiwan, and United Arab Emirates. Last year was a, was a big alfalfa year up 7% from a year ago. That is indirect competition with, with livestock producers in the U S 
price sensitivity wise, some of these countries are are reactive to those types of things. But if you look back to 12, 13, um, 2014, when hay price, when alfalfa prices got high, you know, China continued to buy as well as some other areas. So last year, China was up 34% and continue to just climb in terms of what they're importing from alfalfa perspective. Japan was also up as well as South Korea and Taiwan, where Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE were down a little bit. On the other hay side, China has China bought quite a bit more other hay as well. That's not usually a big market for them, um, but they were up 84% compared to 2020. So they did buy quite a bit in the summer summer quarters here in 2021. And across the board, um, other hay exports were up 5% last year from a year ago, and almost all of the in in. And the U.S. ships primarily to those same uh, five countries except for Saudi Arabia. So China, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and UAE, all of those countries were up except South Korea. Um, and UAE was up 19%. So another strong year, Taiwan up 10%. We're talking about fairly big gains um, in a relatively expensive hay year. That seems to suggest that commodity prices are higher everywhere and it's not not just a U.S phenomenon, right? If they're willing to buy our commodities when they're higher priced, that means we're talking maybe globally tighter supplies for many, many commodities. And it's just, hey, playing into that as we talk about trade. I think moving forward, that'll be the situation. In 2021, you did have a runoff in feed grains. And I think that price sensitivity is going to become less important because as you mentioned, just everything is going to be that much more expensive. When you bring in the Ukraine-Russia situation, we're looking at, you know, a lot of commodities possibly hitting new record highs in the next year, and that's just going to further support those hay prices. Hay was already set up to probably have a record high year, and this will just add fuel to that fire in terms of a price situation. Caitlin, this has been most informative. Do you have any closing remarks here? It's hard to look at, it's hard to look at such a difference between different areas of the country. And the key theme here, I know we focused a lot on the West uh, during this talk, but that's really the area where you see the most problems in terms of dryness, in terms of price escalation, and and water. Water is becoming a scarcer and scarcer resource. Now, if La Nina flips here in you know June or July, as, as some people have um, forecast, that's probably going to only offer... Um, a little bit of a buffer on the hay side because I think the important thing to remember here is we're at such a deficit, it probably takes more than one good year in terms of production to bring prices down to to what you'd consider, you know, a historical average. And so you're looking at a multi-year recovery probably at this point, even if things turn around this year. That's uh, modestly terrifying, I think, if you're a cattle producer and if you're a hay producer, you're worried about whether you have water or not. So thank you very much for joining us. This has been wonderful, and I sure hope to have you on again sometime, maybe after we get our May 1 stocks and see if the USDA surprises us with anything. Well, thank you, John Paul, and I look forward to being on your show again. All right. Well, thank you very much. And for those of you interested in learning more about Uh, the Livestock Market Information Center, that's lmic.info, has a lot of great resources and a lot of great links back to your local university uh, extension services. Also, if you are interested in some Hay Kings merchandise, you can go to hay-kings.com to check that out and be ready for the next podcast. 
I want to say a special thank you to our audio editor, Nick Palmieri, and our social media coordinator, Jessica Palmieri. Thank you.